Amen. Good morning. Hopefully you uh, have a Bible with you. If you don't, I encourage you to grab your phone and uh, you can download Uversion. It's a free Bible app in your app store or, or whichever, wherever you get your apps for your phone. Uh, you can do that and it's, it's a free online Bible so you can follow along. We'll be in Genesis chapter 22. Um, so that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're continuing our, our, our journey uh, through, through the life of Abraham and, uh, and it's been I think really good and really fun, and, and today is one of the most iconic uh, stories in the Bible. It's, it's one, of those, one of those stories that you definitely learn, if you grew up in the church, you've definitely learned it in Sunday school at some point in time, and, uh, and it's one of those stories that, that you all kind of know the ending to, but I want to encourage you as we walk through this story to not, not jump ahead of yourself, not to jump ahead of, of the story. Um, one thing I've noticed about people in general, we're hanger honors. you know what I mean? You ever notice that we're clingers, right? We like to cling. We, we, you ever watch the show Hoarders, right? Right? And some of you are going, oh, no, is he going to talk about hoarders because that's like me. Like, I'm a hoarder, right? Like, I, we, we probably all know a hoarder of some, you know, they just can't let anything go. Growing up, this was my dad. This was, this was my dad. He, would, he, he had boxes and, like, trays and jars full of nuts and bolts in his garage. It was, they were everywhere. And, and he'd always, you know, we'd, We'd do something, we'd work on the car, maybe we'd take off a piece and, you know, put on, we'd put new bolts on, or I like to say we put new bolts on, we just, we just couldn't figure out where they all went, and so we kept them, but, but we put new bolts on, you know, and, and we'd keep the old ones, and he'd keep them, and you never know when you might need one, you know, and 20 years later, guess what, still there's trays and jars and boxes, and, right, we, we we're clinger honors, we're, we hold, we like to hold on to things, um, if you, if, if you've been around a while, you know I've lost a, a fair amount of weight, and, uh, and I lost a bunch of weight, and uh, finally after I had lost the weight, and you, for those of you who've lost a lot of weight at some point in your life, you kind of know how this goes, right? Like, you lose the weight, and you're like, you're like, I don't know, do I get rid of the clothes? Like, am I going to grow back into them? You know, what, you know what I mean? Yeah, see, you're all, all y'all laughing, no, exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's like, it's like, maybe I should just hang on to them just in case. And then you go, but if I hang on to them then I'm giving myself permission to grow back into him, right? I, so you kind of go through this whole thing in your head. Well, finally, after a while, I decided to go through my closet and go, okay, I'm getting rid of everything. You remember this? It wasn't that long ago, it seems like. And uh, she's like, she's like uh, Ark's coming or whoever was coming to pick up stuff. And, and so I go into the closet and I start, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be ruthless. And I just start putting stuff and I'm like, you know, you grab your pa- those pair of jeans and you're like, I really like those jeans. Like, they're my favorite, right? And then you, you find out you have a favorite pair of jeans, and you have a favorite button-up shirt, and then you have the favorite t-shirt that's disgusting, and your wife is like, please, for the sake of all that's good and godly in the world, get rid of that shirt, right? You know, and, and, there's, and you have these favorites, and then you're, you're, you're putting them in, and, and I had a couple, like, suits I really liked, like, they were really nice, but I was swimming in them, and you, you know, and you don't throw those, argue, bring those back to, like, you know, a men's warehouse when they do their suit drive or something, because they give you a percentage off or something, but anyways, you know, like, you, you start to go through, and all of a sudden, you're like, I have no clothes, <laughs> you know? We're clear honors, though, it's painful, we don't want to let go of things. We don't like it. The older we get, this is true, but it's not just with older people. It's also with younger people. Sometimes we, we just don't like it when things change, when things shift in our, in our, in our world. 
And I, and I really don't think that Abraham was that much different. I mean, think about this, right? Abraham had been promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. He, God came to him and said, look, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing of nations. I'm going to give you a nation. You're going to have uh, 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 all these descendants that are more numerous than the stars and all these things. And, and, and God promises a land that God is going to show him. And he, and he promises him these things. And he begins to go through life. He, he, goes, he goes on this journey. And God shows him the land. And he, and he walks around, becomes God's surveyor, right? Walks around and builds altars and, and worships God in the land that God is showing him. But he hasn't given it to Abraham yet. He's just showing it to him. And Abraham sees what God's given him, and, 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 and he begins to go through these, this process over all these years, and he keeps waiting for God to give him this, this promise and to fulfill this promise. And God keeps telling him, I'm going to give it to you. And then Abraham kind of jets, right? He, 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 he runs from God's plan a lot of times. He, he, he first went down to Egypt running from God's plan, and, and, and he came back. And, he, and, and, then, and then there was that time where Hagar came up with her plan, and Abraham went along with it and said, here, sleep with my servant, and that's how God will fulfill his plan. And, but that wasn't God's plan. And, and over and over again, there was this, this up and this down in Abraham's life. At times, he showed this tremendous amount of faith, and then he would respond by by showing this obvious doubt that God could handle the situation or was going to fall through or whatever the case might be. And it was just this, this up and down in his life. And I'm so thankful, by the way, that we can look back at Abraham's life because can I just be honest? That's me a lot of times too. That's me too. I, my spiritual life isn't just, you know, it's more like this. You know, and hopefully, I'm, hopefully there's a trajectory line that kind of points that way, but it doesn't go straight that way. Our spiritual lives are up and down and, and, and all over the place. And, and you think about it, and finally God comes through, right? And, and his promise gets more specific as time goes on, and finally God says, next year, next year, Abraham, you're going to have a kid. And then that next year comes, and Sarah does. God gives him Isaac, right? And there's, there's some issues that come from there, too, and, and some difficulties, but Finally, finally, Abraham is looking and he's saying, God, you came through. You fulfilled the promise, finally. And Abraham settles in, right, to be the, the father of Isaac. He settles in to, to raise him. And, and you can imagine it's more important in many ways than even us as parents who have watched our children come into this world. We love our children in these amazing ways. And they are God's gift to us, but not in the same way that Isaac was God's gift to Abraham. That was a different kind of gift. That was a, that was a fulfillment of a promise that would affect the world for the rest of history. It was, it was God finally going, here is what I have given you. And you can imagine Abraham's desire to cling, to hold on to what God had finally given him. Because Abraham is no different than us. He is certainly a clinger, honor, if you will. I don't, that's probably not a word, but it is today. And, and he wanted to keep things the way things are. But through all these failures that Abraham had, all these doubts, ups and downs in his spiritual life, God constantly called him back to faithfulness. Constantly showed him that he would be faithful. And then it comes to chapter 22. And starting in verse 1, it says this. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, 
Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, can I just, you know, this is crazy enough. For those of us who have had parents, even, even if you don't have kids, if, you've never, if you're not a parent, you've never had kids, this is crazy. You're reading this, as you read through this, you're going, excuse me, did I read that right? God told Abraham to take his child and to offer his child as a burnt offering on a mountain. Now, I, I got to be honest with you, as a dad, I, I don't know, man. Like, I love God, but I'm, I'm having a hard time with this one. You know, I, I just put myself in Abraham's situation. Here, John, go take Joe and sacrifice him to me. Oh, wait, what, God? You mean dedicate him to your service? No, no, no. I mean sacrifice him. Okay, you mean like, like give up control in his, of his life or something, right? No, 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 no. I mean sacrifice him. I'm going to... I just, honestly, I don't know how I do. I don't know how I do. But you multiply that by this. That this, Isaac, was God's answer to the promise that he had promised Abraham. In other words, God had promised him this this big promise. Like, I'm going to make you this great nation. Isaac is the means for that promise to be fulfilled. God himself gave Isaac to Abraham through Sarah for that specific purpose. This wasn't just, here's a child that I'm going to bless you, which, which, which is great enough. But this is, this is a promise that he is fulfilling. He's saying, I am giving you this child so that your promise can be fulfilled. And now notice the text says, God tested Abraham. And he says, now I want you to sacrifice that very thing that I have promised to give you. I want you to give it back to me. In a very definitive life ending kind of way. I mean, think about that ask. That's a big ask. That's a big ask on God's part. Take your son, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there. You know, if you, you, you paraphrase, this, paraphrase this into your own life, if, you, if you're a parent, and, and, and put your name in that situation, right? Put your name. God's telling you, what's your name? You say your name. To, to sacrifice your child. He's telling me, John, to sacrifice Joe. That's, that's what God is saying. I'm having a hard time with that, and I think you would too. You know, it wasn't that long ago I was clinging on to my daughter as she graduated from high school and, decided, and went off to college all of three miles away. It was, you know, that's, tar- that's hard for, that's a long ways <laughs> for dad, you know, Right? And it was, it was really hard for me to cling. I want to cling, I wanted to cling on to her life. I wanted to continue to protect her and to control her, you know, and, you know, call her at night. Are you in by curfew? You know, the whole thing. It's, I, I, I didn't do that, but I wanted to. You want to hold on, you want to cling on. And then she goes and gets married a month ago or whatever it's been now. And, 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 and now, now I got to give up. You walk her down the aisle and you literally take her hand and you put it in the hand of that gorilla. And uh, I mean, I mean that, that really good and godly man. And, and you, you, you give up control. You're, you're giving that up. That's really, really hard to do. But for God, he says, no, I don't want you to just give up control. I want you to sacrifice your child to me, Abraham. 
It's different. You know, it's, it reminded me as I was thinking about it and thinking about what, what's, uh, you know, giving up a child and, 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 and sometimes our children and they get a little, little sassy. And my mom used to say this to me. She, she used to say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. And I, want, I was like, yeah, try. And then she'd go, I know where you sleep. Crud. <laughs> she does know where I sleep. But, you know, it's, but it's that thing of giving up. And here's the thing that, that we need to take from this passage. Because I think sometimes we approach Christianity, we approach our faith in Jesus, and we think God doesn't ask anything of us. Can I just tell you that's not true? He doesn't ask anything of you for you to earn your salvation. But he does ask of you. He asked of Abraham, and as a matter of fact, I would say this, God asks us to give up what we cling on to the most. I want to let that sink in for a moment. God asks us to give up what we cling on to the most. He doesn't do it to be a mean God. He doesn't do it with some kind of vindictive, you know, mentality of some kind. He does it because it's what's best. For you and your relationship with him. Some people think that, that Christianity is a life full of ease. As a matter of fact, we got prosperity teachers that, that, that run around and they go, Hey, you know, buy this, buy this handkerchief for 1995 and it's specially blessed by this holy water that I've prayed over or whatever. And, and if you do that, God will bless you, you know. And, and they, on Sunday morning, if you will just give God then God will bless you with all this wealth and all this health and all these things. There's preachers that run around preaching this false gospel that says that what Christianity is, is a life of ease. What Christianity is, is a life where you don't really have to give up anything, but you get everything. Can I just tell you, God asks you to give up what you cling on to the most. He does. He asks you to give up what you cling on to the most. Because the gospel isn't the prosperity gospel that's becoming more, more and more popular, especially in the southern hemisphere in our world. Um, you know, there, there, there are got, uh, prosperity preachers running around the world and, and telling, telling the most vulnerable, the most oppressed, the most poor people in the world that if you will just have faith in God that he'll give you all, these, all this wealth and these riches. And I, I just want to tell you, it is not the gospel we find in scripture. That is not the true gospel. Now, I also want to make clear that there is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. God gives that, and he gives it freely. But he does say this, that if you want to love him and be in a loving relationship with him, there can be nothing between you and him. He says, you've got to give up that thing that you want to cling on to the most. You've got to give that up. That's what he asked of Abraham. That's what he asked of the rich young ruler in Luke 18, right? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, I've done all these things. I've obeyed all the commandments. And, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. And, and what must I do to, to, to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says what? Go and sell everything you own. And the rich young ruler walks away and he won't do it. He won't give up what he wants to cling on to the most. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, Jesus says this. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In other words, it's a kingdom upside down. Everything's backwards. The world tells us, cling, gather, hoard, amass wealth, 
do all of these things. This is what happiness is about. But Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it. In other words, if you pursue happiness, if you try to cling on to everything, if you try to gather everything so that you will be happy, you will lose your life. But he says, if you lose your life for his sake, then you will find life. Because God is the God of life. He's a matter of fact, he said, I have come that you may have what? Life. And have more abundantly. He is the God of life. But God asked Abraham to give up the very thing he wanted the most. Isaac wasn't just Abraham's son. He was, he was God's promise in the flesh. He was the very thing through which God was supposed to deliver descendants and a nation and fulfill his promise. Isaac was a son, but he was much more than that. And yet God comes and says, give it up. Give it up. Well, maybe that's the question for you this morning. Is God asking you to give something up? Is he asking you to take something to the altar that's in your life that is between you and God? Is there something, some aspect of your life, whether it's a career, whether it's wealth, whether it's a a relationship even, whether it's even your loved one, even your children, can I just tell you that I think sometimes our culture worships children. I really think this is true. We worship children. As a matter of fact, you listen to the rhetoric of of politicians, and if they want to do something, they want to get something passed, what do they say? It's for the children, right? They appeal to the thing which you value most in life and in society. We worship our children. I love my children, but I better not be worshiping them. That is a different kind of thing, isn't it? We are absolutely to love our children. We are to see them as a gift from God, but we ought not worship them. And sometimes when we worship them, they can stand between us and God. What about our spouse? We are called to love our spouse. You know, uh, Ephesians 5 talks about this. We're, We're called to sacrifice for our spouse. We're called to give things up, right? With love as Christ loved the church and, and submit to the other one and, 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 you know, in this way or that way. And, and we look at that and we're just, I'm supposed to love my spouse, but we ought not worship our spouse. Because if we worship something other than God, we are putting that, that thing, that person, that relationship, whatever it is, we're putting that between us and God. Is there something in your life this morning that you need to bring to the altar? before God? Is God asking you to put a knife in it, to sacrifice it on the altar before him, so that nothing stands between you and him? Abraham had grown in his faith, right? He doesn't fight God on this. It's amazing, because he fought God so many times along the way, and and I've fought God along the way too, right? We fight God sometimes, but Abraham doesn't fight God. He doesn't run from God's request like when he went down to Egypt. He doesn't come up with a different plan like he did with Hagar, with that the plan that Sarah came up with, and, and, and ask God if there's a lesser sacrifice. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He obeys. In verse 3, it says this, of chapter 22. It says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac, and he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering. He set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, 
stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Right? Abraham had doubted God at times. He doubted whether God would fulfill his promise. He doubted whether God had the power to do it. He d- doubted whether God, God had the competency, competency to do it. He had doubted God along the way. He had tried to help God out, and it never worked out. He had run from God. He would come up with alternate plans. He had done all kinds of things in this kind of negotiation with God and how God would fulfill his promise. And none of them ever worked out. And finally, he comes to the point where he, he has learned his lesson and he obeys. He gets up and he does what God tells him to do. May we grow to that point in our faith. Amen? So Abraham gets up and he goes. I don't know if you've put money in the stock market ever at some point in your life or a mutual fund or something. Um, but when you, if you sit down with a financial advisor and, and, they, and they start to talk to you about a mutual fund, they'll say this phrase a lot, right? They'll say, past performance does not guarantee future results, right? You guys ever heard that? That's kind of their, their disclaimer, right? But what do they do? They sit here and show you, hey, look at how this portfolio is done. And we, we, this has done really good over the past 10 years. And, and notice that it keeps going up. And over time, if you sit with it and da-da-da-da-da, and it gives this percentage, you know, you'll earn this percent on your money and all these kinds of things. And they, they show you all the past performance and how it's done. But then they say, past performance does not guarantee future results. Just kind of their disclaimer so that you can't go, hey, you told me. And you said, you, so you can't hold them accountable, right? And so, and so they'll have that phrase that they'll, that they'll give to you to make sure that you won't hold them accountable in some way that they can't guarantee. I think this phrase applies in almost the reverse to our spiritual life. Past performance does not guarantee future results. I want you to think about this, because this is an important lesson for us to learn. Because we go through life and especially as we grow in, in, in experience in life, as we, as we go through a variety of circumstances, we face difficulties, we experience tragedies and sorrows, we, we experience hopefully some success along the way as well, but we can experience all these things, and hopefully we're learning lessons from those things, right? And we can look at those who are younger than us, and we can give wise and sage advice because we've gone through a few things. We've figured a couple things out. Haven't figured everything out, don't know everything, but we know a couple things. And so sometimes we can look down to those who are younger, not look down at them, but look down to them, right? Come alongside them and say, and say you know, hey, I know this thing in your life seems huge at this point, but hang in there because it's not as big as you think. And if you stick with it, you will get through it, and you will learn from it, and it will, be benefit, it will benefit you in life. We can, we can come alongside and encourage and uplift people because we've gone through a few things. But I am so glad that my past performance does not determine my spiritual future. Because can I just be honest with you? I've done pretty bad at some different points in my life spiritually. I've failed in a number of ways. And my guess is that you have too. That you've had these points in your life where you've faced these difficulties, you've gone through these difficult things spiritually, where maybe you turned from God, you ran from God, you rebelled against God, you decided you're not going to have spiritual discipline in your life, you're not going to read his word, you're not going to spend time in prayer, you're not going to do these things for whatever reason, and you make up all kinds of excuses. I'm too busy, I don't have time, I, I, I have other priorities, whatever the thing is. Whatever the thing is, and you run from God, and you, and, you, and you make decisions that are not good for your spiritual life. 
And you come to a point, and you might look back, as I have at times, at your life and go, wow, I really screwed up. And you're sitting there, and you're regretting the things that have happened, the hurt that has been caused, the decisions that you've made, the hurt that you have caused. And you're looking forward and going, how's this going to work out? Can I just tell you, our past performance does not determine future results. This is good news. This is really good news because God is the God of raising the dead back to life. God is the God of reconciliation. He is the God that heals. He is the God that makes the blind to see. He is the God that changes the trajectory of a person's life because he has the power to change a person's heart. This is the God we serve. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever decision you've made, that does not determine your future. Now, I don't think you should forget it because hopefully you learn from it, right? But you should recognize that you've been forgiven for it and that God forgets it when it comes to judgment. It's done. The blood has been spilled. The sacrifice has been made. When you go before God, you stand before him pure and holy. White as snow. God forbid we have any snow, more snow this year, right? White as snow. God cleanses us. He changes us. He changes our heart. He is the God of progress, the God of reconciliation, the God of redemption. He is the God of second, third, and fourth chances. And more if necessary. Your situation today does not determine your situation tomorrow. But, you knew there was a but, didn't you? But, there's a but. You can't keep doing the same thing Keep making the same kind of decisions. Keep living the same life that you're living today if you want tomorrow to be different, right? It requires change. The idea that the Christian life does not require change is a false idea. That's not what Scripture teaches. We just talked about how God often asks us to give up that which matters most to us, that which we want to cling on to the most. You, you cannot continue a life of bad decisions and spiritual laziness and, and expect spiritual progress. You can't do it. And it's lunacy to think that that's how things work, right? You know, I'm not a financial advisor or stockbroker, so that's my disclaimer, right? Don't take my financial advice on any of these kinds of things. But here's what I'm told when I talk to people who are wise in such matters, right? If you want to get into the stock market in some way, you want to, you want to start to invest in that way, then here's what you do. You invest you choose wisely. Get somebody else to help you do that. <coughs> you choose wisely, and then you buy in, and then you stay bought in over a long period of time. You don't do this. You don't do this. I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell. I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell. I'm going to buy, I'm going to sell. I'm gonna, you don't do that. Yeah, I know there's people that do that. These tr- day traders, they, they find ways. Can I just, for, that's not, that doesn't usually work. What works is understanding that tra- the trajectory will be like this. It will go up over time if you stick with it. That's the spiritual life. That's the spiritual life. You know, if you're going to play the stock market, you have to be in it for the long haul. You have to commit. You have to rejoice when the stock goes up 
and endure the dips in the market, right? You can't just sell every time the stock goes down because guess what? That's how you lose money. You can't panic. Same is true with our spiritual life. Ray Stedman talks about it this way. He says this. He says, the reality of our faith is not demonstrated by the fervor of our prayers, the emotionalism of our worship, or the intensity of our witness to others. There is only one way to truly authenticate our faith, obedience. Now here's the thing. Should we pray fervently? Yes, pray fervently. Should we be passionate and emotional in our worship? In our worship? Yes, absolutely. Now I know we're Baptists here, but every once in a while I see you guys raise your hand or something. That's good. It's good. You know? Yeah, I, I grew up in a church where, where you, when we started to do this, they're like, oh, let's get in classical dancing, John. You know, you might be sinning pretty quick here, you, you, right? But, you know, we don't do that here. But listen, engage in worship. Engage in it emotionally. Participate with passion. Absolutely, 100% do those things. But that does not authenticate your faith. Obedience authenticates your faith. Obedience does. Abraham failed time and time again, but every time he failed, he ran back to God, and God called him back. If you want to grow spiritually, it is not a one-time decision to follow Jesus. It is not a get-rich-quick scheme, right? It is not a self-help seminar that you can go to one day, and all of a sudden everything will get better. It's not a 30-day fitness challenge. It's not any of those things, and, and as far as I'm not saying any of those things are in and of themselves necessarily bad. They could be but they're not necessarily bad. But can I just tell you that you can't, you can't just commit to 21 days of prayer. Well, we just did a 21 days of prayer thing, right? And I, those of you who participated, it was good, right? It's not that we shouldn't do those things, that those things can't help, but that one thing in and of itself over that specific period of time doesn't get you to spiritual maturity. It doesn't get you there. Here's what, here's what discipleship is. You ready? You need to write this down. This is really good stuff right here, right? You ready? Got your pen. Got notes on the back of your bulletin. You ready to write this down? Here it is. Here's what discipleship and, 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 and sanctification is. A long obedience towards God. A long obedience towards God. I don't think we have it on the screen for you. So a, a long obedience towards God. That's what it is. If you want to know what it is to grow spiritually, that's what it is. It's a long obedience towards God. In other words, it's I'm going towards God. And, you know, Johnny's analogy was great this morning. You let go of the steering wheel. You start to drift off, right? I suppose the ditch is better than oncoming traffic. Can we just be honest? Neither are great. Okay? You don't really want to go into the ditch, and you really don't want to go into oncoming traffic. Both are bad. We want to stay in the lanes, right? We want the lane assist thing that tells us, that warns us, that yells us, like, I'm scared of the machines, right? They're going to take over my car and crash me. I'm more scared of them than I am the ditch. But anyways, you know, the, but, but we got the lane assist, right? It's great. It keeps us in our lane going, going straight. It's a long obedience in the same direction. That's how you grow spiritually. When you start to swerve into the ditch because you let go of the steering wheel, you do what? You make a correction and you keep going. You start swerving in traffic and you hear the, hear the horn because you're tired and you've, you've kind of fallen asleep and it's late at night and you hear the horn and you, you correct it and you keep going. It's a long obedience towards God. Abraham didn't get it right every time. As a matter of fact, he often doubted, but he constantly returned to his life of obedience after every failure and after every doubt. That is the sign of progress in the Christian life. It is not a life of perfection, but a life of continued redemption. I'm going to say that again. 
It is not a life of perfection, but a life of continued redemption. That's the Christian life. I can't imagine the haunting silence that must have filled the air, can you? Here's Abraham, and he says, Isaac, gather up the wood. Servants, get the mules. We're going on a trip. We're going to go worship God at the mountain. We're going to go provide a sacrifice. We're going on a three-day trip. Now, I don't know about you, but I can imagine if I was Abraham, I'm not saying a word. I don't want to be by anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to think they're around me, right? Because God just asked me to do something really significant, and I haven't been able to wrap my head around it. And I'm walking, and we're on our trip. And can you imagine being Isaac or one of those servants, and you know something's not right? You can see it in his face. When he does speak, you can hear it in his voice. Sometimes it's, he's sweating when it's cold. He's cold when it's hot. Everything's wrong about this atmosphere. Nothing's right. And you're walking, and the silence must have been haunting as they made their way toward this place of sacrifice. And it's quiet, and the servants aren't saying anything because they don't want Abraham saying anything to them. And Isaac is his beloved child, but he knows something's not right. And when dad's not right, you kind of leave him alone. So maybe for two and a half days, this haunting silence filled the air that took a chainsaw to cut it. And finally, Isaac is brave enough to break the silence and he begins to have a conversation with his dad in verse 70. He says this, he says, Father, yes, my son, says Abraham, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Can you imagine the instant sweat running down Abraham's face in that moment? That moment of stress. Maybe he had thought about the question. He knew that Isaac would notice eventually. Maybe he had prepared and and been thinking about it for two and a half days and finally Isaac breaks the silence and he asks the question and Abraham is maybe prepared an answer, right? He's not a dumb man. He's been around for a while. He's been in all kinds of situations and he has an answer. But his his mind as Isaac traveled was probably trying to figure things out because maybe we're going to buy some from, from Uncle Fester over here as we go by his place, but we already passed his place. Oh, there's that farm a day and a half away, that that shepherd, he has some sheep. Maybe we're going to buy a sheep there along the way so we don't have to feed them along the way, and it's easier to do, but we have now passed that as well. All of a sudden, we're approaching, we're we're within sight of the place where the sacrifice is going to take place, and there there are no more options. And so Isaac breaches the silence, and he asks the question, silence, and he asks the question, and, God, and this is Abraham's response. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I can't help but read that and think, you liar. <laughs> Not that he was wrong, but that, did he really think that? As a matter of fact, we're, we actually know he didn't think that. Right? Because in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19, it says this. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. In other words, Abraham had thought about this. He had a reasoning behind it, right? It wasn't that God would provide the sacrifice. He thought God was able and capable to raise Isaac from the dead even after he sacrificed him. That was Abraham's thought. And, and he he'd thought about this and he'd come to this conclusion. That's the only thing it can be. I don't know what else it can be. 
So as the journey comes to a close, they arrive at the mountain. Abraham asks the, the, the servants to stay behind, right? And in verse 9, it says this. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Can you imagine that process? As he took the rope and tied it around his hands. And Isaac, apparently willingly, allows him to place him on the altar. Abraham's an old man, certainly somebody who's maybe, I don't know, 15 years old-ish. Wouldn't have had to let Abraham do that, but he allows his father to place him on the, on the altar. He places him there. He ties him down because he, he knows what's about to come. And, and he goes through this process, what must have been going through Abraham's mind. He bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you feel the knife clearing from the leather sheath it's in? And the handle of the knife in your hand as you lean over to sacrifice your own son. But then verse 11 comes as he winds up, as he's ready to plunge his knife into the chest of his son. It says this, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. God steps in. It was never God's intention to see any harm come to Abraham's boy. But it was a test of Abraham's heart. And perhaps it wasn't a test so that God knew where Abraham's heart was. Perhaps it was a test so that Abraham would see where his heart is. Sometimes God tests us, not so that God knows where we're at, but so that we know where we're at. So our character is revealed to us. Our growth is revealed to us because we're tested and we succeed or perhaps we fail, but we know where we need to grow or we know where we have grown because the test has revealed it to us. Here's the lesson we should learn. We must not withhold anything from God. Because he hasn't withheld anything from us. I want you to hear this clearly. As much as God asked Abraham to give up his son, he provided a way that Abraham would not have to give up his son. But what did God do? God took his son on a three-day journey too. From the cross to resurrection. God didn't come to a place where he was ready to give up his son and then call the whole thing off. As a matter of fact, you remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane said what? God, Father, if you will take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. In other words, Jesus willingly says, I will become the sacrifice. If that's the only way, I will do it. And he goes on a three-day journey from the cross to resurrection. And in, in other words, the sacrifice that God asked of Abraham but pre- pre- prevented Abraham from having to give, God freely and willingly gives that sacrifice. God never asks us to give up anything that he hasn't already given up. We must not withhold anything from God. 
because he has not withheld anything from us. He has sacrificed all that he has. The very thing that God would want to cling on to the most, his one and only begotten son, the eternal divine son, he gave up to a cross so that justice could be served, so that we could receive righteousness, so that we could be cleansed before God. God gave up everything. He looks at us and says, all I want from you is to love you and to be loved by you, which means there can be nothing between us. What is it you're clinging on to this morning that you need?